Blog Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. Golf Talk Live is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. Here's Andrew to tell you more about our sponsors iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. And Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine, including reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top teaching professionals, all designed to help you improve from tee to green. Welcome to Golf Talk Live with your host, Ted Odorico. Join Ted each week as he speaks with some of the best in golf. Sit back, relax, and listen to tonight's show. Let's join our host, Ted Odorico, as he introduces tonight's special guest. All right, good evening, everybody, and welcome to our season finale uh, here on Golf Talk Live. This is going to be the last show of 2022, and I'm excited to uh, have joining me this evening two great golf professionals have been on many, many times, both of them, uh, particularly here on the Coach's Corner, but also as guests. Of course, I'm talking about John Hughes and Clint Wright. Uh, they're going to be joining me here in just a moment. I'll introduce them in here in just a sec. Uh, they've come to join uh, you and I, I guess, uh, as we close out Season 10 uh, with a great panel discussion tonight. And uh, hopefully we'll have a few laughs and, uh, and share some interesting uh, stories and, and, uh, of, our, of our year and season and so forth. And then uh, we're going to sign off for 2022, and I'm going to take an extended break. And we'll be returning on air next season in 2023 on February the 2nd uh, will be Golf Talk Live. And that will be just the, an hour broadcast that will strictly be uh, special guests. The Coach's Corner panel will not start until the first Thursday of March as we uh, give them a little bit extra break to, to uh, enjoy the uh, fruits of their labor, if you will, and and uh, unwind uh, from the season. And obviously they're going to be busy with some other stuff as well. But uh, So uh, make sure that you... Uh, after listening to tonight, if you didn't hear some of the earlier broadcasts throughout the season, you can go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live and just scroll down to the on-demand section and all of the previously aired shows, not only from this season, but from past seasons as well. You can go and listen to them there uh, at your leisure. And that's something you can do during the holidays, maybe catch up on some great tips and things that will hopefully help your game. Um, but tonight, let me bring out the panel and we will uh, begin our discussion here on Golf Talk Live's season finale. All right, joining me on the panel, of course, is John Hughes. He's a PGA Master Professional and Honorary President of the North Florida's PGA section. Uh, he was also uh, the 2013 PGA of Americas, and I know it's not the Horton Smith Award. I know they've changed that, and I apologize, John. I pulled off the wrong information. Uh, uh, he's also a senior editor in Golf Tips Magazine Top 25 Instructor, plus part of the Golf Tips Advisory staff, and I'll get him to correct me on that in a moment. Uh, also joining the panel is Clint Wright. He's a 30-plus year member of the PGA and one of the partners at TGM Golf. Uh, TGM Golf, of course, is a big proponent of the R3 approach, and I consider him to be uh, certainly among one of the best uh, covering the short game. He certainly knows this stuff, and as uh, included with John, he's one of my favorite uh, on the Coach's Corner panel. So, guys, welcome to uh, Coach's Corner and the final season finale of Golf Talk Live of Season 10. Thanks, Ted. I pre- yeah, glad to be here, Ted. Thank you. Thanks, Ted. John, correct me. I'm sorry. I, I, I pulled off the wrong 
the wrong info. It's not the. It's no longer the Horton Smith Award. What is it now? They changed the name. It happens. It happens. Professional Development Award. Thank you. Um, thank you for clarifying. My apologies for for doing that. Um, all right. So we're going to have you know just a little fun, just a sort of a relaxed conversation. This being the last show of the year, and I know you guys, uh, you know, have. Uh, graciously booked tonight to, to come on and help. We're not going to have a, a regular uh, scheduled guest later on, so we'll have a little shorter broadcast than, than normal tonight, uh, as I said, as we wind things down. What I want to talk about tonight, and I know that a number of the topics that we're going to cover we, we've discussed before, but there's a reason why I want to bring some of these and some others up as well. Um, for a lot of people in the United States particularly, and even up in Canada, uh, we're now entering in, for, for some anyways, what we call typically the off-season. Uh, the winter months, it's difficult for some to get out and obviously play. It's too cold. The courses are shut down. Uh, and not everybody has an indoor facility, even though there are plenty around now uh, for them to go and practice in. So we want to make sure that they're making good use of this sort of off time, if you will. Some may have uh, some opportunities to come down here in the south for the winter months, and that's fantastic. They're able to keep that golf game going. Uh, but there are many others that are uh, going to be sitting at home and, and out shoveling snow or maybe doing other activities, uh, but we want to keep them sharp, uh, sharp excuse me, through this off-season. So I thought we would talk about uh, some golf tips to sort of shake off the winter rust and also some tips to sort of golf warm-up tips, if you will, for spring and pre-season tips as well. So, uh, But the first thing I want to do, and this is one I think that this is a perfect time. John, I'm going to start with you if you don't mind. Uh, and then, Clint, I'll, I'll come to you. This is a really good opportunity for those that have maybe played, uh, you know, played quite a bit of golf, played for a number of years, um, but they're, they're playing with equipment that would typically be outdated. And it's not that, you know, we don't want to, you know, want them to enjoy the clubs they're playing, but maybe they've had them for many seasons. They're, the the, the um, grooves are getting worn out, the, the grips are slick and that, and it might be time to maybe explore getting some new clubs. So uh, if you out there, if you're listening, if you've been considering buying a new set of clubs, um, now might be the time, the off-season, se- off uh, sort of getting into the rhythm and, and getting things ready for next season. What's the best approach for this, John? How do, how do we get them ready, and what do, we, what do they need to be looking for um, in preparation for maybe getting that new set of clubs for, for the season? Great question, very timely question. First, thanks, as always, for the opportunity. It's always great to be on, especially with Clint. Clint, great to hear your voice, and happy holidays to you, Ted, and everybody that's listening. Mm-hmm. Um, the what What's going on right now is a lot of the companies, uh, particularly the name brands, are introducing new lines to Clint, myself, Ted, other professionals around mm-hmm. the country, and typically phasing things out. Uh, I think you've got to make a decision budget-wise, number one, what you want to be able to afford, what you can't afford. Uh, number two, when you're looking at the budget, make sure that you're including a proper fit, a full fit, with someone like myself, Clint, uh, I'm an ambassador for Club Champion. When you make a sizable investment, and that's what it costs these days, a sizable investment into some really good clubs, it behooves you to get a good fit. And then really the third thing is take your time. Uh, Don't be impulsive. 
be open-minded, be brand agnostic is the term I'm going to use. Uh, you may really like something and think it's the best for you, but if you're going to a fitter that has a couple of different options, particularly with shafts, but also with the brand of head you're going to play, you may be get you may get surprised at what actually works best for you versus what you think will work best for you. And I, th- I think if you go about it with those three things in mind you will find the right set of clubs for you based on what you can afford, what works best for you, and what over time is going to play to your advantage, whether you're trying to improve yourself or, hey, I just want a set of clubs to keep me going. I I plan not to improve. I I think you have to look at it from a 50,000-foot level that way before you dive into the process. Yeah, well said. And, and I think one other factor, too, that, you know, we want them to consider is how much are they actually playing currently? Um, you know, maybe they played more in the in the past. Um, they're not playing as much now. Um, so do they need to – does their investment need to be as robust, I guess is a good way to put it, um, as it once was, because they're not really playing as often. Or maybe there's somebody that do- doesn't play that often to begin with, so they don't need to go out and spend – you know, two or three thousand dollars on a on a full set of clubs. Um, maybe it's just an option, Clint. What do you think about maybe just swapping out a few clubs? Maybe not. They're not all bad. Uh, maybe overall the clubs are in still pretty decent shape, and there's a few things that we can do, like uh, you know, uh, changing the grips out. But maybe there's just a few clubs in there. For instance, if they've been playing a, a set of irons for a long time, maybe they still have a three, four, and five iron in there that they're really not using that much. So, what are your thoughts there? How do we? Maybe not necessarily dive in for a brand new set of clubs, but maybe make some adjustments. What are some options for them? Well, I, I think you're absolutely correct. The, with equipment today, you can buy one club at a time. I mean, you know, when we got started, you bought the set, but now everything's built around individual clubs, and mm-hmm. <clears throat> most likely they didn't use a three and four iron much at all. And so you're absolutely correct. I mean, if, if, if you've got a set of golf clubs that you've bought, let's say, in the last 10 years, if it's beyond 10 years out, there's better stuff there now. You know, technology keeps moving along. So if you've got a set of clubs that just needs to be re-gripped, you know, and you're not using the three and four iron or five irons in your set, depending on the courses you're playing, you know, there's great opportunities to go out and buy a single hybrid that may help you on two or three shots around because you can get the ball in the air higher. You know, the ball's going to sit a little bit more controllable. You know, we all know that that the flatter the face of the club, the more side spin you put on it. So if you're spinning mm-hmm. a three and four iron real badly, don't worry about getting those up, up upgraded. Just get a hybrid that's got a little more loft on it, maybe gets the ball go to the same same distance or a little further with less side spin makes them more accurate with it. So your point about just picking and choosing to improve your set is well taken. I think it's a, it's the approach I would take from the beginning unless you've just got an old set of clubs that your grandfather played with from 40 years ago. <laughs> then, um, you know, go ahead, go ahead and donate those to Goodwill to hang on the wall. And, and, and in today's world, you can buy a 7, 8, and 9 and pitching wedge in any, any, any of the top-line clubs. That's one thing you, you might want to consider. If, if you're buying the, the premium and top-line clubs, 
you can buy one at a time. If you're going out and buying the middle range or lower end of the technology, you're basically going to get that old three and eight set of clubs. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe four woods, seven irons, but you're going to end up buying a set. So one of the things you can do to reduce your cost of that premium set is to pick and choose and not have 14 clubs in your bag. You may only need 10, depending mm-hmm. on your playability. So your your point's well taken. I think people should consider that. Yeah, I think there's a lot of options today. And, and again, it, it depends on the player. Um, you know, I, I've seen and, – and here's the thing, and, John, I'm going to come back to you on this. I, I want to uh, get – you to share maybe a, a story or, or something that you, you probably can relate to what I'm about to say. But, you know, I had a, a, a corporate client a number of years back who went out and, I mean, spent, now certainly he had the, the wherewithal to do so, but spent upwards of $3,000 on uh, a set of clubs. And, of course, that included the bag and whatnot. And that was several years ago. I mean, so that was pretty expensive. And he was all proud and happy when he showed up on the lesson tee. And, you know, I basically, in a polite way, I let him have it because, you know, he was struggling to break 100. Um, and I'm sure you have similar stories where you see people go out, and, and it goes to what Clint just talked about, where really they're – and I'm not trying to knock any manufacturer out there. I think there's a lot of great equipment. But I think you have to be cognizant of where your game is at, where it's likely going to improve over the next little while. That should dictate – your decision-making as well. What are your thoughts there? And I'm sure you might have a story or two that you could share uh, similar to what I did where somebody just went out and, you know, went went for the hills and, and spent a, a big, you know, dollar amount on, on something that's really not going to um, be appropriate for their game at this time. What, what do you think? I, I see that a little bit. Uh, I, I've seen someone spend as much as eight or $9,000 uh, on a set of clubs. And extremely exotic shafts, one-of-a-kind heads, handmade. Uh, but this person was a very low handicapper, played a lot, and sure. it, it was an investment that that he made into his future. But to your point, the the average golfer uh, can sometimes get blinded, is the way I'm going to say it, by the marketing, mm-hmm. by the uh, by the companies as far as what they want you to believe is good for you. And and they're always making the marketing off of the PGA Tour, the LPGA Tour in particular. It's a top-down kind of approach. And what you have to recognize right now, more so than ever before, is clubs are being made for the tour player that the average player can play, particularly when we're talking about hybrids, driving irons, that kind of thing. But it doesn't necessarily mean that it's good for you. To Clint's point, you can you can pick and choose at this point what's good for you. Do you really need a driving iron, or, or would a, a five hybrid be better for you? And does it really have to cost $800 when mm-hmm. a better-than-average stock shaft for that head plus a decent grip might only be $100 for you. Again, it goes back to the fitting process and and understanding what your budget should be, not necessarily what your dreams might afford you. To me, the real key that I've seen with people who will over-purchase is they get blinded by their obsession is the best way to call it 
to be like the pros. And and that's probably within all sports when it comes to shoes and basketball and so forth. The real key, I think, with golf, again, I go back to the three points I said before. What's your budget? Get fit and be brand agnostic to the point where I just want to have something that works, not necessarily mm-hmm. a bragging point. Now, as far as some stories go, the I had a client <laughs> once that came for a golf school, and this guy was probably a 20 handicap, and he had blades in his in his bag. He had all sorts <laughs> of crazy shaft combinations. And I asked him if he got fit, and he says, oh, yeah, I got fit. Uh, where'd you get fit? He told me. How long did it take you to get these in? Oh, it took forever to get them in. And I'm like, have they helped your game? And he says, no, but at least I've got the biggest, brightest, and most expensive bag of my foursome. It seems to be the ongoing competitiveness, (laughs) not necessarily the score, but who has the best clubs and the best bag. Um, And that's a true story. And I still see this person. I convinced him after reducing his handicap by 10 or more strokes that it's not about bragging who has the best clubs so much as bragging who can use the clubs the best. And he's finally right. bought into that. He's finally bought into let's make the investment in me, not necessarily in the shiny thing that I can't use. Yeah. It, you know, and, and the reason why <laughs> I knew you'd have that and. Uh, Clint, I'm sure you can can probably share one as well uh, over the years. And, and again, I'm, I don't want to knock, you know, the the listeners out there that might fall into that camp. There's nothing wrong with with you know, it's your money. You're certainly welcome to spend it any way you see fit. What what irks me is when they come and say, "I'm really struggling with my game," and they're playing blades and they're playing, you know, an eight and a half uh, lofted driver when they should be. You know, eleven or, or you know, eight, ten and a half for sure. But you know, eleven or even twelve degree uh, driver, because again, as you pointed out, you know, they're imparting so much side spin, um, and they need to really get the ball up in the air, and they're just not able to do that uh, with the clubs they're they're using. And you know, so that's what really I think irks me a little bit. And and obviously, is that one of the other things I mentioned briefly. And we don't have to get into this, but um, you know, sometimes it might be something as simple as regripping too. I mean, you know, you're getting ready. Uh, in the off season here, and maybe you're not going to be playing for a little bit, um, or don't have the opportunities to play. Now's a good time to get them regripped. Get again, make sure you're getting the right grips for you. Make sure they're, you know, they're the right size grips. But get them gripped so that when you're ready to get back out there, uh, if you're not able to do so beforehand, uh, you're going to be well prepared as opposed to waiting until you start and you get out there and fumble around a little bit. Uh, Clint, I'm going to come to you with this one here, and this is a little bit different. Um, you know, I think another good thing for people, and this is something, again, that that we should always be uh, doing. We certainly don't have to be, um, you know, diving deep into it, but it's good to have a general understanding of the rules. Uh, and they're always, the USGA is always, you know, fiddling around with the rules, seems, you know, every season. Mm-hmm. Um, what can we do, and, and what would you suggest to a student? I mean, there's certain basic rules that they need to familiarize themselves uh, that are sure. going to come up more often than others. Uh, but what's a good mm-hmm. rule of thumb, no pun intended, uh, for, for sure. them to get to sort of brush up in the off-season? What could they be looking at? Well, I'll get to that in a minute, but I won't add what John said. You know, I do a lot yeah, of fittings, ahead. okay? And the first thing I have to do is try to get around a person's ego. 
I mean, there's <laughs> the ego has spent a lot of money that wasn't necessary. So John's points were quite well done. It, as far as the rules are concerned, I think that you, you have to look at what's the most usable rules on the golf course. And obviously you look in what we call today the penalty areas. You know, mm-hmm. if you play a golf course that's got water on it, most of us do, understand how to use that rule to your benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that that's the one that I look at. I used to do a um, quite a few clinics, and I would encourage – the students in my group, and it, it used to be old rule number 28. I, I'll be honest with you, I'm not real sure what rule it is now because it's reorganized the whole old book. And P.J. Boatwright would be rolling over to his grave, I'm sure, if they knew what they did to his rule book. But um, it was rule 28, <laughs> uh, the unplayable lie. Mm-hmm. Know how to use that rule because it can be of great benefit. And, uh, and people, a lot of times, you know, you you would tell them, and say, well, you know, if you hit your ball in the bunker and you blade it across the green, you know, what can you do? Well, one of the things you could do is you could declare the ball unplayable as long as it's not in a penalty area or a water hazard and take it back and play it out of the bunker again. Mm-hmm. And they would look at you like, I can't do that. You know, and <laughs> we've all seen this video. I can't remember who it was. I think it, uh, Ken Duke may be on on putting, and he had the ball up above the top of the green. He putted it all the way off the green. Then he hit his wedge up there. It rolled back to him. He ended up take, doing like a 10 or 11 when he was on the green in two. All right? Mm. But what I would tell people is he didn't know the rules. Right. Because he could have taken a one-shot penalty, picked the ball up and walked it back and put it right back on the green where he putted it from. And they look at you, oh, you can't do it. I say, yeah, you can, because one of the things under unplayable lie is you can take the ball back to where you previously played from under penalty of one shot. That's one option. All right? mm-hmm. You always have stroke and distance. So some of those rules like that, I don't see the rule book as a penalty book. The rule book is a procedural book. It tells you what to right. do when you're not down the middle of the fairway. So to brush mm-hmm. up on the the out of bounds rules today, they're ha- they're different, obviously. Uh, lost sure. ball. What happens when it goes in the water hazard? And really know how to use that unplayable lie rule because it can save you a lot of shots. Um, yeah, yeah uh, particularly up around the green. And those those right there would be the ones I would um, you know pay closest attention to uh, as far as my daily play. That's the ones we use the most. Yeah, and, and you really really emphasized a, a great point is that we've we've got to not look at the rule book as um you know simply a, a, a book of penalties um certainly Correct. there are some penalties in there and right um but as you said it's got to be procedural and and you know i think there are a lot of rules that you've touched on some and i know there's others as well where if you understand them correctly they can work to your advantage and can well, no actually doubt. help That's you for. right Right, exactly, and a lot of people don't look at that that way, and they don't know the rules. And again, you don't have to memorize every one because there's a lot of them. Even the pros don't re- memorize every single one, but the better right. pros do have a better understanding of some of the ones that you've talked about and some of the other ones from a percent uh, from a, a standpoint of how is it going to benefit me if I get into the situation? What can I do that's going to make it easier for me to recover Good or boy. to improve my lie or whatever the case is? So, yeah, exactly. I think that's a great way to look at it. And I think, you know, again, this is an opportunity when you're not in the thick of things 
for people to brush up on some of those things and familiarize themselves. So when they get out in those situations, they can say, okay, yeah, rule X, Y, Z, um, I can do this and I can do that. And it's always, That's right. I mean, this day and age, you, the rule books are small enough anyways, and most of them you can get online anyways. You can get a copy of them Oh, they're all on your phone. Form. Sure. Right. So you can you can just pop it up there and... And in case your buddies are questioning, hey, why are you moving the ball? Well, mm-hmm. rule 28, you know, or something along that line. Right. So uh, th- that's well, a great way two, to look at it. Yeah, and two, the new rule book does have some much better illustrations than possibly mm-hmm. some of the uh, uh, previous years. But it's all you can go on usga.com and download the rule book and the decision books for free. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's all readily available. Um, so you're absolutely correct. So. That, those are just a few things that need to brush up on or, or just even know because a lot of times, particularly in the, the water hazard or the penalty areas, you can use those to your advantage, knowing how to do it. That's certainly true. Yep, I couldn't agree more. Well said. Uh, John, here's one for sure that everybody needs to do, and maybe you can walk us through a little bit of the process. Actually, I'm going to flip these around. Uh, first because, well, I guess it doesn't really matter um, because I know you're going to touch on part of the next one uh, in your discussion here. But um, I think it's important at this time and this juncture, especially for those that are not going to be playing maybe golf for a few months, now is the time to be setting uh, some goals, some new goals or reaffirming goals uh, for your upcoming golf season. Um, What do we need to do here um, and what's a good way to approach it? Well, you couldn't have timed it any better because that's my December blog post feature this month. So I highly recommend people go to the blog of johnhughesgolf.com and read about it. I'll uh, I'll brief you on what that is. It's basically examining your stats, examining your scores, examining if you met your goals this year. Quite honestly, you got to start somewhere. And if you didn't have any goals this year, that's okay too. But setting goals and then setting a plan for the goals is really what you're looking to do this year for next year. And are you going to commit to more practice time? If so, how does that fall into your life priorities? And I talk about that a little bit and recently actually throughout the month of December, all my regular clients, whether competitive or not, we literally go through this process. I send them their their plans, their their goals from last year. We go over whether they met them or not. We, we go over what they want to do in 2023 and how we need to change the process. Bottom line is a goal is a dream when it doesn't have a plan or a process. And it leads to expectations, which expectations lead to failure. It doesn't matter what the goal is, uh, whether it's Mm -hmm. breaking a milestone, uh, scoring, whether it's playing uh, a a, a top 100 golf course you've never played before. Is it taking a lesson from a ranked instructor like Clinton myself? It, It really doesn't matter what the goal is. Write them down. Keep them in front of you. Make the efforts. Have the plan in place to reach those goals, no matter what they are. And if you're having trouble with it, one of the earmarks of a great coach is someone's going to sit down and listen to where just just listen to you and, and allow you to ramble, if nothing else. 
because through the rambling, a really good coach is going to hear the little nuances of what your goals may or may not be, be able to Mm -hmm. say them differently to you, and you have that aha moment. That's when you can start writing them down and set the plan. Use a timeline, too. Don't, Don't just put out a goal to put out a goal. Put a timeline on it. Put a deadline on it. Create a plan that has circumstances. That timeline's one of them, but also have a circumstance that, hey, if I'm trying to get from a six to a five handicap and I don't do it in the first three months, what am I going to do as a circumstance to reach that? Is it, hey, i got to sacrifice something else I enjoy? Am I going to, like a cursing jar, put a dollar in a jar every time I don't go practice or I don't reach that kind of thing? It's all up to you as to how you put those circumstances together and how you put your practice plans together. But without a timeline, without some circumstances, goals are can be not necessarily difficult to reach so much as untimely to reach. Mm-hmm. And then the final thing I throw out at you is <clears throat> have the mentality and attitude that if this is your goal, if this is your plan, that distractions are held off at a minimal. Uh, the the worst thing that can happen to someone's best laid plans is a distraction. And distractions come from everywhere and from everybody. I When I really wanted to become a golf professional, I had these signs all over my house. Uh, I had to do whatever it took to pass the playing ability test. That sign was mm-hmm. in my car. It was in my locker at work. It was in the refrigerator. It was on the mirror in the bathroom. It was on the alarm clock. And it was something to remind me that I had to do things attitude-wise daily to reach that goal, that, that the smaller things is what makes the process work, the details, and that if I kept this type of attitude. I can deflect the distractions. I can detail my plan as I progress through it. Uh, it, it's, it is about priorities and where golf stands in your priorities of life as to how you're going to go about making those goals. But I would highly suggest that you plan it all out, review last year's, find someone like Clint, myself, you, to throw mm-hmm. the ideas off of to help you be more objective with it and then when you set the plan, have that attitude that, hey, I'm going to reach it, but here's the timeline in which I reach it, and if, and set smaller goals to reach it, I think you'll be fine. When you set a big goal and that process isn't there, is it going to lead to disappointment? Yes, but you've got no one to blame but yourself when that happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, well said. And, and I think just to, to – just to add to that, and I know you're. This is essentially what you're saying, but you know, you you have to certainly have some big goals. Um, maybe it's going to be uh, to reduce your handicap at, by the end of the season. You want to have uh, throughout the season. You want to be it to be working down. Um, you have to make sure that your goals, that certainly some of your goals, are realistic and attainable. Uh, some of the goals have to be attainable, and they can be very simple, as you said. Uh, as part of the process, um, and then you also have to have goals that push you a little bit, and those are some of the ones, I don't like to use the word unattainable, but they're harder to achieve. It takes a little more work and effort to get to those, uh, but if you're working through the, that process, as you suggest, 
you're going to have an easier time of reaching those more difficult and challenging goals throughout the season. Um, one of the biggest mistakes, and you just touched on that, that we see quite often is somebody will throw a goal out and say, well, by the end of the season, I want to be here, and there's really nothing along the way to help step uh, even stair-step, if you will, to get to that uh, ultimate goal. And ultimately, they end up floundering throughout the season, and then by the time that you know, gets towards the end of the season, they can see that they're not reaching that goal or even coming close, and it's, it's, very, it's like a balloon that's deflating. It's just all the air has gone out, mm-hmm. and it's, it's very disheartening, and they just you know, end up um, not uh, feeling like they've accomplished anything. So you've got, to ha- you've got to be realistic in your goals based on your – your skills and, and Clint, this is where I'm going to bring you in on this with with the next mm-hmm. one. And Clint sort of just brushed it very briefly when he said that um, you need to get with a pro, and they need to help you work on not just your overall game, but this is a thing as well. This is a, something that I think a lot of people misunderstand really what the purpose of a pro is. It's not just to teach the fundamentals and do that. The pro is somebody to help guide and navigate you through your golf journey. Talk a little bit about that. What's the process? How do we find a good pro? What are we looking for? And once we've got one, when we're in the off season, if we don't have an opportunity to play uh, golf um, or very little golf or maybe we don't have access to a facility for whatever reason, mm-hmm. can we still engage with our pro and how can we engage with them to get the best benefit out of it? Well, the engagement is the easiest in my career I've ever seen it. I mean, everybody's got a a cell phone, video, and and text. I mean, I have students, you know, used to, you would see maybe a student every two weeks and because that's the only time you could see them. Nowadays, you, you know, I have a, give a lesson and I'll tell them, hey, the next time you go chip and putt or whatever, take some videos, send it to me. Let me look at it, make sure you're still on track. So if, if you run up against a, a teaching professional that doesn't have that capability or is not interested in doing that, you go look for somebody else because, in mm-hmm. our profession, we have right now with the technology is the best I've ever seen in being able to stay in touch with your students, no matter where you're at and, and what time of year it is. But if I'm looking for a, a teacher, and that's what you're talking about, and whether they're golf mm-hmm. teachers or math teachers, whatever, somebody that's going to teach you something, then you need to, to understand that, that having a goal and having plans is one thing, but knowing enough about what you're attempting it is critical to you being able to achieve your plan or execute your plan and and achieve your goals because that plan has to be based on knowledge, not necessarily information. Uh, one of the biggest things I see in our profession now in our sport is we have information, uh, you know, is more than what we need. I mean, it, it's out there. We've got information about how to do things and this, but unless you take that information, and truly develop knowledge about it, you're not going to be able to obtain any of your goals. If you're basing your goals and your plan on just simple information that you can pick up anywhere, it's going to be complicated. I mean, you know, Hogan's been accredited for saying a lot of things, but one of the things that that he has been credited as saying is that golfers are not improving because they don't have talent. They're not improving because they don't know. They don't know anything. Mm -hmm their knowledge mm-hmm. of what they're doing. And we see it many times. John, you've seen it I, I, a thousand times. You get a student come in and say, well, well, I always ask them, what do you think your problem is? And invariably their problem is not what they think it is. 
Right. So therefore, they don't have true knowledge on their problems and what they need to improve on. So a lot of times they've gone through three or four good things they've been doing, destroyed those and left the bad things still going, so now they're really in a bind. Uh, they're confused. They don't know what to do. So if I'm looking for an instructor, I want somebody that I can feel comfortable with telling me exactly what I need to work on. You know, assess my game. You know, um, John does this. I know, and a lot, most good teachers do. I'm, i got a new student. I want to see him hit a few balls on the range. I want to go see him chip and putt a little bit. I want to assess what their skill level is from the T to the hole. And then you can start, you know, diagnosing what their problems are and give them, help them work through a plan to improve their real weaknesses, not their perceived weaknesses. So that that's what right. I'd be looking for in an instructor uh, to help me assess my problems, give me some ideas what to do, help me learn as much about what I need to do as I can, and then stay with me until until we get to the next spot. That's what I'd be looking yeah, for. I- yeah, I, and I think that's a great answer. You know, I, I think too much, um, as you said, the student, a lot of times they will come to you thinking that they understand what the problem is. And really, it's it's many times, not all the time, but many times it's not a, anywhere close to what they think it is. Um, and correct. as you say, they've, they've tinkered around with, well, it's got to be my grip. So they start monkeying around with the grip. And then, well, no, maybe I'm... You know, I'm not. I'm too far back on my heels. I need to be more up on my toes, or you know, or I'm swinging the club to swing. And they've invented about three thousand things. So by the time they get out there, they're overthinking the process when they get over the ball uh, to the point right. where they actually paralyze themselves because they're thinking Correct. so much about it. You know, the golf swing is actually just is a motion, is a movement and motion mm-hmm. um, that your body does naturally. Um, but again, if you have not just the knowledge, but you're able to uh, implement and put that into into practice, then you're going to be much further ahead. And that's where the coach comes in. That's where that extra set of eyes and experienced set of eyes is going to help you along the way. Um, John, I'm going to come to you on this one here. And there's really two ways to look at this. Um, we're going to kind of shift into a uh, a little different season we're we're moving into the new season we're still with some maybe through the winter months that um do have access um not necessarily they're coming south but maybe they do have an indoor facility whether it be a hitting bay or a dome or something that they can go uh and and hit clubs um but there's a part of their game that really i think if they wanted to really work on through the season is not so much the full swing but the, the short game uh, warming up their short game, putting, chipping, and pitching, I think is really what they, they need to focus on. And then I also want you to touch on, for those that maybe don't have access to some of that uh, ability to, to go to a dome or to go to an indoor facility, maybe some things that they can be doing at home uh, or in the office even, depending on their situation, um, that maybe they can do to help uh, a little bit anyways to keep themselves fresh for when they do get back out on the, on the range or on the golf course in the new season. What can we do these, with the short those game? Those are all great. Yeah, the, those are all great points, whether it's short game, full swing. I, what, when you're talking about indoors, you have limited ball flight. And as great as the simulators are, the, the ball flight monitors are, uh, it still doesn't replace the actual vision, the actual view of watching the ball fly and, and trying to diagnose what you did. Uh, related to face and path and all the other things that go on. 
what I always recommend to my clients when they're working indoors <laughs> is all about setup and impact. And if they're working on those things throughout the off-season, they can't go wrong. And it does start with short game with chipping. Uh, just going back and, and making sure that you feel impact with a simple chip shot. And it, you can do that indoors, and you can do that very effectively. And from there, allow the swing to grow a little bit while always focusing on great setup, great impact. Uh, you can you can strike a lot of balls indoors, and you're you're playing in a simulator and you're having fun with friends. The really errant shots tend not to be that errant indoors because of the predictability algorithms. There's only but so much those are going to show in a two-dimensional world. Uh, golf's a three-dimensional game, uh, if not more so, because of face and path and loft and angle of attack and all these other numbers and the simulators do their best to try to show you what's real about that but what it boils down to is your time usage in that simulator in that bay really getting down to the brass tacks of it is that face square do you have forward shaft lean with your shorter irons with the short game with, with the knockdown shots, with those approach shots, with shorter and mid-irons? Are you creating better spin conditions with your driver? Looking at all those parameters, as far as indoors, at home, you can set up in a doorway. I've, I've got tons of video about indoor things you can do, whether it's working on balance with a, on a rolled-up towel and, and feeling like, hey, I'm going from heel to heel as I swing or putting a club against a doorway and then maneuvering yourself into an impact position without taking a backswing. There's so many things out there that you can do indoors to keep your swing fresh, whether it's cold and wintry or you're secluded in an office for eight hours a day and it's 90 degrees and you want to be out playing. The mm -hmm. final thing I'd throw at you is your fitness. Uh, you you get into a rhythm, uh, whether it's playing or practicing or both, where your body gets used to playing. And then you put the clubs in the garage, they collect dust, and your body collects dust because it's you're not using those muscles in the same way, or you could be totally stagnant, not using muscles at all. I think if you were to just do some simple fitness things, 5, 10, 15 minutes a day, that put your body into these positions to replicate the positions you were using and getting to all year long, all season long, you can't go wrong that way. The, the real key is realize, hey, you're indoors. Let's not do things that are not real for an indoor situation. And let's, let's keep your practice <clears throat> relevant and the same as if you were outdoors. Just because you're indoors and the ball's right there in front of you doesn't mean you change your practice tempo. It, you've got to be more disciplined that way. And the more disciplined you use your indoor assets, the better. You, you come out ahead when everybody else is behind come March, April, May when your season starts. Yeah, and, and that's a great point, and let me just, you know, add on this. You actually rolled into the next uh, point that I was going to bring up, so I won't get into, uh, I won't uh, bore Clint with all that. But, uh, you know, really early in the season, you know, a lot of times with the holidays coming up, everybody's 
you know, kind of putting things on, on hold a little bit. We're excited about getting together with friends and family. And, of course, um, you know, we're eating a little bit more and not uh, maybe exercising as, as diligently as we should. So this is a good time, really, to be um, certainly having fun and, and with family. But if you haven't been doing it for a while, you need to get back into the gym uh, and, and certainly um, incorporating some kind of workout. But having said that, what you don't want to do is, you know, if you're somebody that plays a fair bit of golf, you know, getting in there and doing normal weight lifting uh, is not going to be beneficial. Certainly, light weight lifting is okay, but you need to sort of, sort of start off with golf-specific stretching routines to help increase your flexibility over, the, you know, the, the several months that you might be cooped up in, in the house and whatnot or or certainly not able to get out and, and work on your golf game. So this is an opportunity to get your body, John, as you were pointing out, to get in shape. But to do that, you want to make sure you're doing it correctly. So what we recommend is ideally is that you should seek out a golf fitness professional, somebody that's TPI certified. There's other certifications out there as well. But you want somebody that's specifically a golf fitness professional, not just your regular golf professional. He or she may have uh, TPI or other uh, fitness certifications, and that's great. But if they don't, uh, usually they can point you in the direction or they may even be partnering with somebody that is more golf fitness uh, certified. Don't just go on the Internet and look up for somebody that says, hey, I can get you in fitness shape and whatever. Um, you want to make sure that they're qualified in this area. And, uh, you know, uh, TPI certified is, is a, a good one. It's very well recognized in the industry. And uh, many of the pros have actually started going out and getting certified in that area. So uh, that's something you want to do. And, and if for some reason... Uh, if your pro does not have the fitness certifications in hand, he or she may be able to guide you in the right direction. So you want to make sure you do that. Clint, there is one thing I, I do want to get you to touch on a little bit. And this is, I, I take this away from uh, an old video that was out many, many years ago that uh, our, our, um, one of the top players uh, of all time, uh, Jack Nicholas, did a video called Golf My Way. And he really talked right. about loading up on health, healthy golf snacks. Um, and this really talks about, you know, eating better. And, again, I, I don't, I'm not trying to rain on anybody's parade, and I'm not saying you can't right. go out and, and – uh, but, you know, if you're out there golfing and you're playing 18 holes, you've got to be able to sustain your energy for those 18 holes. How many times have we seen mm -hmm. people going around the turn, you know, they scarf down a chili dog or something at the turn and maybe even have a beer or two. <laughs> and, again, I'm not trying to rain on anybody's fun – but then by the hole 13, they're suddenly they're out of wind and their last sure. few holes are struggling. What are some suggestions? What do you recommend uh, when you're talking with, with folks that they can do? Nicholas talked about a number of things in that video. Um, maybe you might touch on some of those as well. Hmm. But what can we do to make sure that we're getting the most out of our round and keeping our energy levels up without getting all hopped up in all some kind of a concoction that we quite often see yeah. uh, advertised? What can we do to right. make sure we're, we're doing well, things right? You kind of hurt my feelings. I mean, I, I tend to like a ham and <laughs> I kind of like a ham and cheese at the turn, but hot dogs are not good for you. Um, but there's a lot of things. I mean, there's information abound out there about a lot of it. But I've always thought if I'm playing in a tournament, you know, everyday play is you know whatever. But if I'm in an event, I want to. I don't want a lot of caffeine. So I'm not going to drink, mm -hmm. you know, soda or whatever because I'm already amped up and nervous. A little caffeine just going to make it worse. You know, so uh, just to be honest with you, the simplest thing you can do is stay hydrated, particularly in the summer. Mm -hmm. 
I see a lot of guys that, you know, they get a hole around 4 and 15, and they haven't been drinking water all day, and they just run out of gas because they're getting dehydrated. That's an important, I think, more than the, the snack, the, the liquids that you mm-hmm. take in, it plays a much bigger role than maybe a banana to turn or um, you really don't need a lot. Uh, I, I prefer to take a little protein, maybe a peanut butter cracker or whatever. But the the thing I would definitely want to say is stay hydrated, keep water with you, a Gatorade or, or some other, you know, the um, sports drinks out sports there drink. are not too bad. But, um, you know, I, I'll add on what y'all were talking about earlier, and I think this comes down to the, the, the food thing too, is that you want to be able to, if you do a little, you can do a lot. But if you don't do a little, you're not going to be able to do a lot either. So mm-hmm. when it comes to exercise and stuff, a little bit of movement every day keeps you where you can do a lot when you want to. So you, it, it's not like your point about the exercise program. You don't need to go to the gym and work out for two mm-hmm. hours a day. You just need to get down on the floor and stretch a little bit and just move your body because you're right. The game of golf is a motion. It's a ball and stick game. And your body will adapt to what you do daily. And if you do a little bit, doesn't take a lot, uh, then your swing will stay with you through the through the winter or the slower times of play. But back to the point about nutrition, um, I, I prefer to see somebody stay with better protein this round, but uh, keep their uh, fluid levels up is probably, in my opinion, the most important thing they can do. Yeah, I, I, you're exactly right, and and I mean there's a number of options, and again, this is something that you can, uh, you know, talk to, uh, again, maybe a, a golf fitness professional, they can give you some, some ideas, I mean, you know, I'm not asking people to get into some drastic diet or, or something like that, but sure. I think, as you pointed out, you know, too often we see players, again, mainly because they're dehydrated, they're not hi- staying hydrated enough throughout the round, they get to about hole 13, 14, and suddenly they're out of steam, and then, the, you know, what might have been a decent round suddenly craps out in the last four or five holes because they, mm-hmm. they don't have the energy to hit that ball down the center of the fairway anymore or, you know, the, the bunker becomes more challenging because they just don't have the energy to dig it out uh, with, right. a, with a good a bunker shot. So there's a lot of – and even their putting, their posture, you start to notice their posture getting a little bit because they're tired and, and they're just not uh, having that energy. And it's difficult enough. I mean, 18 holes, people don't realize – you know how much you're, if you're, especially if you're walking, how much you walk, you're up and down hills and, and uneven lies, how that can affect your body. So if you're not fueling your body properly, um, that can do a lot. So this is things, really, I, I guess what I want to go back to and maybe get you guys to put some final points on this, and I'll start with you, John, is I want people to take this opportunity, this this off-season, if you will, as we sometimes call it, to really use this to get the rust off off of your your game uh whether you're able to uh, again get into a, a some sort of a facility during the winter months or whether you have the wherewithal to travel to a warmer destination for the for the winter months and continue to work on your game this is an opportunity to take advantage and work on things that otherwise um you know you're going to struggle with next year if you just plunk yourself down in the chair and and uh and you know, watch uh, other sports all the time, or you're doing something else, and you're not staying active, you're not being motive, uh, motion. Uh, so, John, maybe just sort of sum up what's a good, I guess, strategy for those that are going through coming into this winter season as they propel into next season. 
give us an overview of what you think they should be doing. Uh, I, I, you you basically summed it up pretty darn well. What what better time than right now as you go into the off season to plan what you want to improve, uh, set the goals, put the plan to action. That would include some fitness, uh, looking at your equipment, making sure it's in good repair, you're fit for it correctly. Let, let's do a replacement if needed. Let's get indoors or outdoors. Let's really stay focused. I call it dedicated to the discipline of your details to reach your goals and start now. What most people don't realize, if if I had to draw up the utopic golf school for somebody, I'd have everybody come now, not in March, April. I mean, I'm very appreciative people Mm -hmm. do, but this is the best time to come particularly if if you've got an off-season and time that you can invest in yourself, in your game, in your body, in your mind, to play better. Uh, You you couldn't have summed it up any any better. And and if you look at all sports, for the most part, they all have an off-season. They get shorter and shorter Mm -hmm. every year because there's more games and mandatory training camps added to the professional docket all the time. But everybody has this off-season, and and what's incredible is when people come back, we see monumental changes in body, in in ability, in skills, and that's no accident because these professional athletes know this is the time to get it done. This is where I can get the edge over somebody else. And I I think if you're looking at – you're looking at uh, information, as Clint said, with some knowledge, not just looking at information to have it, and setting a really good plan in place that's holistic. It covers everything you need to reach that goal, and you've got from now till March 1st or April 1st, whatever the date is for you, and you go about setting small realistic goals to get you to that point, a lot of people surprise themselves. They, they really do, and, and until you're willing to take that journey, until you're willing to step to the plate and say, hey, I, I want to do this, not for anyone else but me, uh, you'll just sit back and watch everybody pass you out. You'll watch these wow factors of people's bodies morphing, people's skills improving, and the only mm-hmm. difference is they decided to use this time in a different way than you, not necessarily more wisely or, or whatever, they just made a decision they were going to utilize it and, and take advantage of the opportunity. And there's no better opportunity than the off-season to make those major changes because it's never going to affect your score It's right now, but it can positively affect your total overall enjoyment of the game when it's time to get back out there. Yeah, well said. And, you know, to go to a point that was made earlier is, you know, a lot of times – we will see people making changes in their game, uh, whether it be with their swing or something else, and they're tinkering all the way along. This is the time, if you're struggling with something, if you're not sure, uh, this is a good time to work with your coach. Uh, You don't necessarily have to be out on the golf course. Uh, As Clint pointed out, you can do it uh, through um, uh, phone, through text, through email, through a lot of different programs now available for you to communicate directly with your coach. 
uh, and you can go over some of those videos that you've shot earlier. If you're still struggling with an area, you can go over some of those things again. Maybe there's some drills that you can be doing even at home. Um, you know, John, as you pointed out, I know that you've got some stuff on your blog uh, for people that can go and see uh, at the end of the show if they want to go and see some of that uh, and, and get familiarized with it. But really, the, 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 the key is to use your time valuably. And, and Clint, I, I know rather than being repetitive uh, with what uh, John has just put out in that, mm-hmm. you know, you see a lot of people, um, particularly in the short game, uh, right. is re- something, an area that you really focus on that waste a lot of time and really don't hone those skills. Putting is one that, I mean, there's no excuse. You can putt just about anywhere uh, that you can get <laughs> a, right. you know, a, a little straightaway. So there's really no excuse to, to be utilizing that. Um, when you look back, uh, let's dial back uh, you know, over the last several years, and you look at people that you've worked with, people that you've said, what's the number one thing, uh, and I don't want to put this as a fault, but that you see them doing that if you had them for five more minutes, you could try to emphasize them to change. What's the commonality that you see with a lot of high handicappers? What is it they're really struggling with? It's not so much the golf swing. It's something else. What is your opinion? What do you think that they're struggling with that maybe we can help them with here tonight? Okay, I'll, I'll get that. I want to summarize up what you and John has been talking about, and I'll, I'll quote mm-hmm. somebody we've all heard of. It. Gandhi was mm-hmm. quoted in saying that your future depends on what you do in the present. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to be better four months from now, you can't wait to, for four months to get better at it right. just now. Okay. Just another way to say, you know, what better time than now? And and so, um, you know, I, I think if I was going to sit down with, with a high handicapper and, and I knew what they were doing, and is it really comes down, and we this is a highly overused thing, it's about their attitude and what they're trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. Um. You, you know, all, all poor putters are poor putters, no matter how good they are. If they think they're poor, they're not going to putt very well. And most of the time what I see in the, the average to, uh, you know, below average players is they really get up in the putting, particularly in chipping. They they really, in chipping, I guess, they they don't play very good percentage shots they they get the ball up in the air too much they need to keep it on the ground they could do better but it really comes down to what they see on television they see the flop shots they think that's the way you're supposed to play but but they're not going to practice and have the talent to do that so i'd like to see them you know just keep the ball on the ground as much as you can but most importantly i see them rushing Mm-hmm. They, they get in a hurry. They, there's some anxiety about it. You know, they got that. Or I see the person's got a three footer for par that stand over it so long <laughs> they forgot what game they're playing. Um, and so a lot of it comes down. I, I would encourage them to begin to set a timetable routine. Hit those three foot putts all in the same time frame. Have that solid routine, and you have to stay with it. What I see a lot of times is you'll have a lesson with a student, and you say, okay, you know, putting does not start when you hit the ball. It starts from when you walk on the green. You know, mm-hmm. paying attention to the way the green's sloping and speed, uphill, downhill. And eventually you start seeing that break down. They'll do pretty well for a while, but it begins to break down. They get in a hurry. They don't think it's working like it should. They've missed a few putts. And 
what I see most people do, they begin to misanalyze why they miss putts. You know, I'll always ask a student when they miss a, you know, miss a putt, why did you miss it? Tell me why you thought you missed that putt. And, and most of the time they'll say, well, I stroked it poorly. I said, well, no, you didn't. You, you aimed poorly. You weren't ready to right. play. So, so they, they dig, misdiagnose why they miss putts, so they never really can focus in on how to improve it. They, they really never get right down to the point why you missed it. You know, again, they may hit one too hard and it rolled by the hole. Why did you miss it? Well, I misplayed the break. I said, no, you didn't hit it at the right speed. It was too hard or too soft. And, mm-hmm. you know, so I get them to be patient with yourself, pay attention to why you miss things, properly diagnose why it's happening to where you can have a proper fix instead of a guessing fix. Um, and so that's what I would encourage them to do is be very, very aware, and particularly in putting, um, why you miss the putt. Because unless you can correctly analyze that, you're, you're never going to be able to fix the problem uh, because that knowledge of, of the problem is critical there. So be patient with yourself. Take your time. But most importantly, develop your routine. It could be anything, but make sure you stay with it each time. Get lined up and uh, continue with that routine uh, and not let that part of your process break down. Well said. Um, Great summary as well. You know, as we get ready to to close off here, you know, I just want to spend a few more minutes um, as we wrap up the season 10 here on Golf Talk Live, and particularly the Coach's Corner panel. And I want to thank you guys again for for joining me tonight. It's always a pleasure having both of you on, and I appreciate you uh, helping me close out the final uh, show of the season. You know, <clears throat> I want to touch on something that, you know, experience that I had uh, in the last week. Uh, for those that maybe are not familiar with it, the LPGA has what they call now, it's called, called the Q Series, but it used to be uh, Q School, and of course the PGA has that uh, as well. And really what it is, it's an opportunity for the young ladies uh, to um, earn their LPGA cards. So um, it, it can be a variety of different options. It could be uh, some young ladies coming up from some of the feeder tours like the Epson Tour and, and others, uh, or it could be uh, somebody that's lost their card, has to go through uh, the process again in order to retain a card or, or earn their card again. Uh, and it can be quite grueling. It's over several weeks uh, towards the end of the season, and uh, they just finished up in, in my area, um, actually um, where I go on, on my weekends. And uh, so I had the opportunity to go and watch it. And, and the reason why I wanted to mention this, and I talked about this a little bit with Cindy on the uh, Tuesday show on the Women of Golf, uh, what was really interesting, and this goes to really the mental side of things. There was a young lady who actually I've had the pleasure on the Women of Golf um, interviewing. Her name is Bailey Tardy, and she is uh, now on the uh, the LPGA Tour, but uh, she was an Epson Tour player, which, of course, was the primary feeder tour to the LPGA. And, uh, you know, we get an opportunity to, to speak with these uh, young ladies, winners and so forth, uh, throughout the seasons. And a couple of seasons ago, we had the pleasure of speaking with her. And she's a young lady from uh, Georgia. And uh, she was on the Epson Tour and I actually spoke to her briefly down at the Tour Championship in Daytona in October. And uh, she was playing in the final event for the year. And uh, I didn't realize this at the time until I went to the Q Series here just last week, uh, last weekend, and um, I thought she had gotten into the top ten on the Epson and automatically got her card. As it turned out, she was about $2,000 shy uh, from getting into the top money list uh, and getting that card. So um, she had to go to Q-Series. But what was interesting about it, and this goes to the mental side of the game, what I didn't know, and I was reading 
some of the notes as I was coming into this event, um, into this process, is that she had decided because she did not earn her card on the Epson that she was not going to go through Q series. And she just decided that was it, emphatically not going to do it, you know, come heck or high water, was not going to do it. Now, I don't know the reasons. I didn't get a chance to talk to her. I'm certainly going to try and find out at some point. But somewhere along the process, she decided that she was going to go through the Q series. And uh, whether it was her parents uh, helped her uh, make that decision or whether she just reconsidered. The reason I bring this up is really mentally she had checked out. And whatever happened allowed her to dig deep. And ultimately what ended up happening, and, and I want to get your thoughts on this, both of you, because I think this is very, very interesting. Ultimately, she ended up going through the Q series and did so well that she actually finished second overall. So there's a young lady who, you know, had some struggle, had three top tens on the Epson Tour this season, uh, you know, finished certainly strong, but not quite in the money list. Really got a bit down in the dumps, I guess is the best way to put it but ultimately rose to the challenge uh, after much consideration and literally the last minute got into the Q series and ultimately ended up finishing second overall and, of course, earned her LBJ Tour card. So, John, I want to get your thoughts on that. Uh, I know that's not all the details, but um, this really goes to um, the mental side of the game, that how sometimes somebody can really be in the trenches and just not feeling like they're, they're at their best even though they've had a good season and just, you know, deflated. And we see this in a lot of our amateur players where they're just not having a good season. What can they take away from her experience that might be able to help them with their own game? The, the, a couple of big key points with that story of Ms. Tardy. One is sometimes you got to get out of your own way. And you don't realize you're in your own way until you take that break to step away, uh, particularly at the higher levels of skill and, and competition. But from a, hey, I'm the average golfer, sometimes you're trying so hard, uh, not necessarily in a way that's most efficient for you or best for you, but you are trying hard. You're putting the work in, but nothing seems to really make a difference and and you don't see the return on your time investment when you take that break and you come back in there's no expectations most of the time it's very similar to if you're really working a lot you got sick you go play hey I, i'm just going to go play for the fun of it i'm sick i'm tired i'm injured whatever it is and now because you gave yourself that break in and the break allowed you to have zero expectations walking back in, you can then perform at or above your potential. Uh, when you've got that kind of stress that you're putting on yourself, and that's really one of the other keys here is that stress is self-imposed. Pressure is self-imposed. Mm -hmm. Because she was $2,000 short, that's just a number. That, that's not mm -hmm. necessarily a pressure she had to put that pressure upon herself and say, you know what, that $2,000, screw it. I've worked my butt off to try to get it. I didn't yep. get it. Oh, well, I'm throwing my hands up. But then whether it was parents, coaches, maybe even herself, taking the time away and then putting $2,000 in perspective to everything that she had done, 
mm-hmm. may have remotivated her internally mm-hmm. to go and say, you know what, if I finish at this and not even try, maybe I get my card. And, and she probably surprised herself by doing that. Most most touring professionals do come out and admit that after the fact that they mm-hmm. surprised themselves. But they also admit that, hey, they needed that break. They needed that time away. And I think what amateurs can take from this is you always take time away. But when you're in the heat of the moment, you put the same amount of pressure on yourself that a touring pro does. The difference between the two of you is they're better prepared for that pressure and they know how to apply the pressure at the right time at the right place. But even they can get out of whack every once in a while where they need to break away. The average amateur to break away, is it an extra week not playing? Is it skipping a practice session? That's up to you. Uh, it really is. And, and the people, the golfers I deal with, everybody's break is really, really different. Uh, no, there's no two breaks that are alike other than they all have time involved. And it's time away doing something else to put the game back into perspective, to put their goals and aspirations back into perspective. So mentally, they're on a more even keel. They they feel healthier, and they feel that they can enjoy the game. At the end of the day, how can you perform if you're not enjoying yourself, even at the highest levels? I think if the average amateur can look at this and go, hey, how do I enjoy it better by taking some time off? I think that that's a really good parable to learn from. Couldn't said it better myself. Um, you know, uh, you know, Clint. The, the, John touched on one point right. that I, I just want to bring up and, mm-hmm. and get your thoughts here as well. I, I know you probably sure. echo much of the same. Uh, I don't is, know. I don't know. Really is well. You might have something different. We'll hear. It, we'll hear. It, but think, you know, yeah, we'll it, it's in the preparation. I think the preparation is is a key thing. I think you know a lot of amateurs really don't prepare as well as they think and they get into the heat of the moment. Um, but the, the reason I wanted to share that with you guys, particularly this evening, is, you know, I, I really enjoy watching the young ladies play. I mean, they're very, very good. I, I actually enjoy watching them more than I do a lot of times the guys because the guys tend to be, it's more about a, a power game and so forth, where the girls tend to have to really mm-hmm. think about their shots and and, and uh, a lot more, and it's not so much about the power game, it's about really getting themselves in the right position and, and uh, you know, for the attack, as, as you will, towards the pin sure. or, or whatever That's their right. target is. Uh, but, you know, to John's point, really the preparation is key. I mean, you can accomplish many, many tasks and goals that you may set for yourself throughout the season if you prepare yourself. Um, what are your thoughts, first off, on, on the story that I shared, if you have any, um, okay. and, sure. uh, and and what about preparation as we get ready to close up here? Well, there's no question John's correct. and You have to be ready, whatever that level for you is. Some people, you know, uh, have a different level of preparing. They, they, they go through the routine. You know, you got the Hogan's and then you got the Bruce Liskey's. Okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, hugging it balls yep. every day. Bruce Lisky never practiced, so everybody has their different style. John's correct there, but see, I would uh, bring up the point is I don't think that what your young lady went through was mental. Uh, I think more mental. Uh, I think that if we can distinguish between mental preparedness and emotional preparedness, they're two, in my opinion, right. totally two different things. What this young lady did was went out there and worked very hard, 
she was all into the you know to, to getting it done. She come up short. She was heartbroken mm-hmm. and a little bit probably exhausted physically, but most importantly heartbroken. Mm-hmm. She was depressed with herself. She didn't accomplish what she wanted to. It took that time away for her to get over that heartbreak, and then most likely it kind of made her mad. Yep. You know, hey, I, I can do this. I mean, I'm not going to let this whip me. Uh, I'm going to get back out there, get prepared. Uh, I'm not going to uh, take defeat as something that, that's going to happen to me. But most importantly, she takes a different emotional attitude to it. Uh, maybe play a little more aggressively. You, you just don't know. But, uh, but I see it more emotional uh, than mental. Uh, and we all play those emotional things, stress, you get nervous, there's a fear factor. All those things, fear of failure, all those things are emotional. Um, mm-hmm. They uh, and, and people's emotions go both ways. You, you've seen the, the guy get out there, or the girl, she makes a couple of birdies, that adrenaline gets going, their emotions are high, they can't, they can't miss. You know, they're really at a high level of emotional preparedness where you see the person go out and maybe – make a few bogeys early on, they get a little worried about what they're doing, that emotion starts growing on them, and they can't finish. So yep. I think that the, the young lady was just heartbroken <laughs> to begin with, had a little bit of time off to, to reevaluate where she was at, and, and just decided that that wasn't going to be the end of it, is she was going to go back out there and show everybody that she was capable. And I'm, I'm happy for her, without a doubt. Yeah, and I I can tell you I was standing there uh, just off the 18th green when she came in. Her parents were there, and and uh, I can tell you she was definitely uh, was grateful that she made the decision to to jump back into the fire and the thick of things, if you will. And, and you're right. I mean, you know, when I I should have maybe clarified it, and I, this is really what I meant is I didn't mean when I say, you know, again we use the term mental game a lot, and and really right. it's, it is yeah, a different yeah. beast, if you will. I I understand what you meant. You're exactly right. I think emotionally. I think she momentarily checked out. She was defeated. She was, you know, f- didn't feel like she accomplished what she wanted to accomplish. Right. Uh, heartbroken, whatever adjective, or, you know, nouns, verbs, or whatever you want to throw in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that you're exactly right. And I think somewhere in the process, whether she had help uh, in, in, in sorting through that or whether she just mustered up the strength on her own, uh, she made the conscious right. decision to get back in the game, and it, it served her well. And and obviously, I, I I guarantee she's looking back and saying to herself, you know, thank God I, I made that decision to do that because now I now I achieved what it was I wanted to achieve. Uh, it might have taken me a bit longer than I had originally planned, but right. ultimately I reached my yeah. my goal for the season. And, so, yeah, there's very quickly there's stories out there. A young man that's right from here, Anderson Carson Young, uh, made the LPGA Tour, made the story. He had almost decided to give up golf. I've known mm-hmm. him since he was 10 years old. And this year got his tour card, but he was at very close to to giving it up. And uh, yep. I'm proud of him as well that got back on the horse and he's out there doing well. Yep, exactly. Uh, you, you know that's that's the key thing, and that's really the I think the underlying message that I, I want for us to leave the the listeners this season with is, you know, it doesn't matter where you're at. Um, you need to have an understanding of where it is you want to go, um, and you need to gain the knowledge and the understanding of how to get to where you want to go. And that can be done a variety of ways um, with help, obviously, from professionals in the industry can help you do that. 
but you also have to have the willingness and the desire, and you have to have the patience, and you have to be willing to have a little bit of tenacity to, to get yourself off that couch or out of that lazy boy chair and get out there and do it uh, and work on these things. But you have to work smart, and you have to do it, uh, as we always say, practice with purpose when you practice. Get out there with a game plan. Don't just go out there willy-nilly and do whatever. Um, and I think that you'll have a, a successful season. And you know what? Some of you out there, maybe your coach uh, that you're up in the Northeast, a lot of them might have a, a school or something that they uh, go to in the uh, in the winter months there and they come down south. You might be able to follow them down, even if it's only for a few weeks, and continue working with them and, again, keep some of that rust from, from gathering over the winter months. But no matter what it is that you do, whatever level you're at, um, as Clint put uh, and John put, you know, you want to keep moving through the process and don't give up on it and just, uh, you know, uh, keep your, your thoughts positive and don't let the emotions get the better of you. Um, well, guys, I want to thank you both for uh, joining me. I hope you uh, enjoyed our, our season finale as, as we uh, get ready to close out for 2022. And I'm going to give each of you an opportunity to share with the audience how to uh, get in touch. And, and um, John, I know you might want to, uh, direct them to your website. You've got some uh, some tips there that maybe you want them to follow. And Clint, if you have some things as well that you want to share, sure. by all means. Uh, so, John, I'm going to go with you first, then Clint. Mm-hmm. Sure. Again, thanks, Ted, for the opportunity uh, to be on the show for nine of the ten years you've been live. It's been an honor, a pleasure, a privilege, and look forward to doing it again in 2023. Clint, as always, uh, as long as I've known you, being back in South Carolina and through now, I always learn a little something when you're on and appreciate your friendship. For those of you looking to find me, it's real easy. John Hughes Golf, whether it's a social media, the website, that's how you find me. I want to direct your attention to what I believe to be one of the better golf school experiences anybody can participate in, and that's at Macklemore in May, June of next year. Makes a great Christmas gift, a holiday gift for somebody. And I want to wish all the listeners and everybody who's been part of the show uh, just a parting thought for the year. It doesn't matter what you do or don't believe in. It doesn't matter what you do or don't do. It doesn't matter who you are or who you want to be. This time of year, Spend it with family. Spend it with close friends. Share and make some memories together because you mm-hmm. only get one chance of doing it. And and no matter what you do or don't believe in or what you're doing or not doing, realize that we're all in this together. We should be trying to make each other's villages that much easier to live in and that much more pleasant and convenient to be a part of. I think if you go about your business the next couple of weeks that way and, and just remember it's, all, it's not about you, it's about everybody, I think you'll have a great holiday season. I want to wish everybody a great holiday season and a very successful 2023. Well, thank you, John, and, and same to you and your family as well. Clint, go ahead. Yeah. Um, first of all, Ted, I, I think, it, John, I've been – on this show about the same amount of time, about 10 years or nine years out of the 10. And it's certainly been a, been a lot of fun for me. I, I appreciate you letting me get on here and make a fool out of myself sometimes, but, um, you know, we're all, we're all going to have a good time. At, at least we're going to try to, 
But but I can't say anything better than what John just said about this time of year, other than the fact that maybe we ought to just be thinking about that 365 days of the year versus just a few. But you know that that's the whole thing. We always we always want to in our golf instructions. We're always trying to help a person do better. I think that's a, a great thing for us to try to do with everybody we meet is try to make their day better and pass along a little knowledge when you can. Um, but everybody can get a hold of me real simple is clintgoff001 at yahoo.com or they can uh facebook page is the third shot uh third shot golf and uh look forward to hearing from from many of them but again i look forward to 2023 i hope everybody's listening is looking forward to it and and uh, get out and play as much golf as you can. But most importantly, you might want to take a family member or a friend with you because um, our sport's wonderful. Uh, we've got a lot of great places to play. And just to help John a little bit promote uh, what he's doing at Macklemore, I haven't been there, but it is a marvelous place from what I can tell, and I know John's doing a great job for him. And uh, get out there and, and um, have a good time, play a little golf. Well, again, thank you both um, for joining me on the final season finale of uh, Season 10 here. It's hard to believe. And, yeah, you both um, have been on nine years. Um, Clint, you were, uh, I think, uh, you certainly weren't driving the bus, but you were on the bus, and um, you've managed to work your way up towards the front. Maybe one day I'll let you drive the bus. But but, uh, you certainly earned your keep, as well as John. Uh, You guys have have, uh, always... Uh, you know, I appreciate your insight, and I always learn, obviously, a lot from you guys as well. But more importantly, I enjoy uh, the camaraderie, and I like to share. You know, to me, it, it goes to John's point and yours as well. Is it's, you know, life is much bigger than just you know what score you shoot on the golf course, and I think it's important that uh, certainly 365 uh, days of the year. But right now, we're in those holiday season. This is a time for family really to come together, put all things aside, no matter differences, arguments, whatever, and let's sort of come together and just celebrate one another, just have, have some fun and, uh, and, and some good cheer and, you know, reach out to those that maybe you haven't spoken to in a little while and wish them as, as well. And especially those of you that maybe have some elderly parents, this is a, can be a very lonely time for them. So if, if your uh, folks are still alive and maybe they're uh, not at home with you and, and uh, this is a time to reach out to them as well and let them know that you're thinking of them. But I want to thank all the listeners as well. We're going to sign out together here. Um, I want to thank all of the listeners for uh, being faithful and, and sticking with us here. The, the show has, has grown every each and every year, including this year, and I hope to make it even bigger and better next season in 2023. We'll be coming back on February the 2nd, as I mentioned earlier on in the broadcast. We'll be the first show coming back in 2023. It'll be uh, sort of a golf talk light, if you will. Um, for the month of February until we kick into the full uh, season, which begins early in March. But the 2nd of February will be the first show uh, for Golf Talk Live, and February 7th will be the first show for the women of golf with my good friend and co-host LPGA professional Cindy Miller, and you can get that both shows on blogtalkradio.com. Just type in, respectively, either Golf Talk Live or Women of Golf, and you can get uh, the archive sections there as well and tune in live each and every week. Um, So this will be the last show of 2022. Guys, thank you very, very much. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Feliz Navidad. All of those good things. I hope you guys have a very happy uh, holiday season, both of you and you and your families and your loved ones. And, uh, again, much success in the new year. And I look forward to having both of you back uh, on the Coach's Corner panel and and elsewhere 
through the season in 2023. But thank you for all that you've done in helping to make the show what it is. I appreciate it very much. And we're going to sign off on that note. Happy holidays, everyone. Uh, God bless, and we will see you in 2023 here on Golf Talk Live. Have a great evening. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. Ted would like to thank this evening's special guest for joining him on the show. Remember to join Ted every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central on Golf Talk Live. You can also listen to Golf Talk Live on any of these social media platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, TalkStream Live, and of course Spotify. Be sure to follow Ted on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, send an email to ted at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.